we do need our God because without Him, we are undone. Uh, if you would open to the book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 15 this morning. We are uh, going to cover verses 1 through 12. As is our normal practice, we will pray for the Holy Spirit to be our guide this morning. We will then read the passage under consideration, and then we will uh, divide the passage for observation and application. Uh, so if you would join me in prayer this morning. Oh God of mercy and grace, we ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we attend to the preaching of your word this morning. Give us understanding as to the exclusivity of grace in our salvation. Make us a people who protect the gospel, a people committed to Christ alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. We pray, Lord, for all the churches that preach the gospel according to grace. We pray that your people that gather this morning at Baker Creek be edified in Jesus Christ. And it is in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray this morning. Amen. As you are able, would you please stand for the inerrant, infallible reading of God's word, or the reading of that infallible word, not that my reading will be infallible, because I'll probably mess it up. But, but God's word is infallible. So let us uh, hear the word of God. Uh, Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after it had been but much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This is God's word. Y'all may be seated. This morning, our, our message is entitled, The Gospel of Grace. Not that there is any other gospel. There is but one gospel, and it is a gospel of grace. 
I will say to you this morning that faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything we need to be included in the kingdom of God. Jesus plus nothing is all that is needed to inherit eternal life. The great threat to the faith is more often an internal threat rather than an external one. We have looked over the past two weeks at these external threats, right, to the church. Last week we saw that, that the persecution of the missionaries from the community that denied Jesus as the Christ, we saw them coming at them, kind of pressure from without. In the face of such persecution, we saw that Paul and Barnabas chose faith over fear. But there is a great threat from within, a threat that comes from those who would confess that Jesus is the Christ, a threat from within the church community. What is the threat from within? The threat from within is Jesus plus. The threat from within is grace plus. It is to add any human condition or effort that is added to salvation. That is, you must believe in Jesus plus something, plus something else. It is all of grace plus this or plus that. It's all of grace. One of the things that I, I haven't noted here, but I kept it kept uh, uh, marinating in my heart and mind this morning is that sometimes it's not just a doctrinal Jesus plus, right? When we think about church and we think about gathering together, it's Jesus plus my affinity group. I have fellowship with people not based on the gospel alone, but the gospel plus they kind of like the same things that I do. If I go to a church and those people don't like the same things that I do, they don't engage in the same things outside of the church that I do, then I need to go to another church where people who are like me, right? I even remember one brother years ago who said, I need to go to a different church because nobody there rides a bicycle. I'm not kidding you. Nobody goes on long road trips on bicycles. That's Jesus plus something else, isn't it? That's Jesus plus your affinity, what you like. Well, here the threat is Jesus plus something equals salvation. And it comes from the church community in this passage. See, Salvation, though, we must know this, that it is by grace alone. That is, it is by God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved personal choice in bringing whosoever he chooses into the kingdom of his son. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And as such, salvation is a monergistic work of God. That is, it takes no cooperation or human effort. Salvation is, is of God and of God alone. That God is sovereign in His choosing. God gives the gift of grace. God gives the gift of faith. God gives the gift of repentance even. So that no man, no one, none of us may boast 
before Him. And we must remember what Ephesians 2 tells us. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." He wants to repeat this, and he wants you to get it, and I want you to get it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Why does he say it twice? Because we need to hear it. We need to remember that salvation is all of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Let's make it clear, right? Paul wants to make this clear. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no man may boast. And so I declare to you this morning that as we look at this passage, when you think about what the church does, when it departs from the exclusivity of grace and adds some human condition to salvation, the church then denies the completeness of Christ's death and resurrection and diminishes the glory of God in salvation. Gospel plus is a great threat. It is a great threat to the church today. Gospel plus was a great threat. Grace plus, Jesus plus had become a, a threat in that church, in our church today, at the church in Antioch, Syria, at the church we see in, in Jerusalem as well. And it is also a threat to the churches in Yamhill and Washington counties. So let us Look at verses 1 and 2 a little more closely. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with him, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So we pick up this morning with the missionaries having returned to home base. There are two kind of home churches going on, two big centers of Christianity now that this missionary journey has, has gone, right? There's, there's Antioch, Syria, which is, which is home base for the newly converted Christians. And then you've got, you've got the church in Jerusalem, which is, which is the home base that they started, right? Where the church was birthed. You've got a home base there and you've got a home base here. Now, in the original home, right, of course, is the church of Jerusalem. And now some of those from that church, because I want you to get this, these are converted Christians in Jerusalem, in Judea, who have come to Antioch, Syria, preaching another gospel. They are preaching another gospel. They are teaching the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They're preaching a different gospel. So this, this threat is coming from within the church. 
and is coming to the church. They've come to Antioch City and they're bringing a different teaching, a different gospel. News, of course, had already reached uh, Jerusalem that the Gentiles were being converted throughout the region. And this new teaching was that the gospel is not enough. You need the gospel plus the law of Moses. These Jewish Christians, and especially those Jewish Christians who were in the past Pharisees, are convinced that just like those Gentiles who were converted to Judaism, if a Gentile was converted to Judaism, there was an expectation for that Gentile to uh, convert uh, and adhere to all the ceremonial laws for cleansing, right? They must be cleansed, right? They're, they're dirty Gentiles. And if they're going to come into the house of worship, worship, even in Judaism, right? You got to get clean. You got to get cleaned up and you have to go through the ceremony to be cleansed, to be worthy, to go into worship, right? So they're teaching that although these Gentiles may have come to faith in Jesus Christ by grace, they must be cleansed. They must be cleansed according to the custom of the law or else they are not saved. This is another gospel, isn't it? This is a, this is a different gospel. As though there were really another one. As though there was a different gospel. In Paul's epistle to the Galatians, he admonishes the church there to protect the gospel of grace. In essence, in that letter, he says, church, the gospel is all of grace. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. He tells the church in Galatia, no, you must know the gospel of grace that saved you. If you add anything to the gospel of grace alone, you are denying the Christ in whom you confess. If you add something else, you're denying the Christ that you say you believe. You say that the gospel is of ill effect. It does not accomplish what God's word says it does. If it doesn't, if it's Jesus plus something else, guess what, friends? You and I are in trouble. You and I are in deep trouble because we're going to have to continually, continually atone for our own sins, right? And our righteousness, righteousness is nothing but filthy rags according to the Word of God. We would have to continue over and over again. We cannot, we cannot muddy up the gospel of grace by adding anything. He tells this church, you must not deny the Christ in whom you confess. You must hang on to the gospel of grace alone. And anyone, he says, who preaches a different, a gospel plus message is to be accursed of God. And he says, church, it is your job as a blood-bought believer in Christ to protect the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Listen to what he writes to the Galatians in chapter 1. Verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
Notice this. He's saying that if we add something to grace, if we add anything to it, notice what he says. You're deserting him. That's how he opens this admonition to the Galatians. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. You're deserting God by gospel plus, by grace plus something else. Amazingly, right? Think about that for us as a church, right? Think about that. What what is a church member's primary duty? I think it's this. Protect the gospel. That's your job. You might think it's only the pastor's job. It's my job to protect it in preaching it and trying to, and making sure that I preach it accurately and clearly week in and week out, right? But it's your job on a daily basis to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. To discern when somebody brings you something different and you say, no, that is not the gospel of grace according to the scripture. That is not grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone to the glory of God alone. That is not it. That is not the gospel. It's a different gospel. There are many, many different gospels being preached probably within striking distance of our location, right? There are many, many different Gospels being preached. We must be those who understand the Gospel of grace first. We must understand it. We must understand that it that it is a work of God alone, and we must protect that as a church. So, being sent on their way by the church... Paul, Barnabas, and his crew being sent on their way by the church, headed to Jerusalem. They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So Paul and Barnabas and some of the men of the missionary journey, they're sent to Jerusalem to discuss the idea that ceremonial law uh, must be followed, must be added to these new Gentile converts, and without it, salvation is not possible. This is the argument. This is the discussion. This is great debate. But on their way, though, they stop in these cities where they had been before, and they recapitulate the conversion of the Gentiles to the Jewish brothers that are there. They uh, reiterate what he said at the end of our message last week in Acts 14, verse 27. God has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. This is what he's declaring on his way to Jerusalem. God has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. It's a work of God, all of God. God opened the door of faith. What work on the part of the Gentiles constituted God opening the door to them? What work did they do? What burden did God place on them? He placed no burden on them. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He placed no burden upon them. 
Luke's, Luke tells us in this passage that the Gentiles were converted. They were converted through faith in Christ. Notice that, that Paul here, he added no burden to the Gentiles either. God didn't add a burden. Paul doesn't add a burden to the Gentile converts in addition to faith in Christ. There's no detail. There would be detail, right? If, if he had added some sort of burden to them, there'd be detail of mass circumcisions going on, right? In every town that he went to. Yeah, we, we preached the gospel. They believed and we circumcised 63 guys, right? There, there's no such stories. There's no such thing that they've added to the grace of God. As, as Acts 14, 27 says, and God, opened the door of faith to the Gentiles by grace, through faith, through faith in Christ. All glory then goes to God, doesn't it? There's no work added. There's no work, no prerequisite work that was done. It was God's sovereign choice. So, the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached, and by grace God opened the door to them, and that they believed. And Paul counted them among the converted. Paul gives testimony throughout the scriptures that ceremonial circumcision is not to be laid upon these Gentile converts. You might recall, I'm going to read a few, a couple of these passages where Paul has like many, right? Passages where he talks about laying on this burden of gospel plus. To him, it's just, it's the kind of thing like, it's a curse to add these things. And, he, and he's really clear. In Romans 2, 28 through 29, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So if it's the gospel plus circumcision, right? I praise God for giving me faith to believe. But I also must praise myself because I was obedient to do the work on top of it. Gospel plus. No, he says, he says that his praise, those who are saved, their praise is not from man, not from themselves. Their praise is in God. In Romans 4, this is a long passage. I'm going to read 9 through 16. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still yet uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness that is of faith. For it is the adherent, it, it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. Faith then is null, and the promise then is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. 
So who opens the door of faith? Who opened the door of faith and by what means? God opened the door of faith by grace and not of works. If someone teaches gospel plus, grace plus, Jesus plus, they are claiming that God can open the door of faith, but our traditions and our religion can close that door of faith. That's what they're saying here, isn't it? That, yes, these, these Gentiles got converted by faith, by God's grace. But what we're saying is this. We're going to close the door. We are closing a door that God opened. Lest they're circumcised, they can't be saved. Their religion is closing the door. Closing the door on what God has done. Who is it that opens the door of faith? Who is the one that would close the door of faith? In John 10, verses 7 through 14, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life, and that more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. See, God... Through Jesus Christ, he opens the door of faith to whosoever he chooses. And those who he chooses, those who believe by faith, right? They go in and out. And their entry is in who? The door. They enter through the door. The door is Jesus. Anybody else, any, anything else, any added uh, thing to gospel plus or to, to grace plus or Jesus plus, he says, those are thieves and robbers. Those are thieves and robbers and those who would destroy you. God has opened the door of faith by grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And he's done so to these Gentile believers. And this is Paul's testimony as the missionary uh, team, they journey to Jerusalem. By implication, the God who opened the door of grace requires nothing in addition to faith in Christ in order to enter. The gospel of grace received by faith plus nothing equals everything. The gospel plus nothing equals everything that we need for salvation. And in verse 5, But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So you can imagine, right, how difficult it would have been for those Pharisees who were converted to Christ, don't you? I mean, think, think, like, put yourself in their moccasins for just a minute, right? They had understood a way of worship, a way of ceremony. And they, they are converted to Christ, but yet they're so steeped in tradition and ceremony, it would have been very difficult for them to let go of that. All of life for them had been centered around the temple and around religious life. 
and the strictness of the most conservative worship practice would have been difficult for them to, to abandon all at once. So the official stance of the converted Pharisees is, yes, the gospel has opened the door to the Gentiles, but certainly they cannot be granted entrance without being ceremonially clean. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter is summarizing, really here, the testimony of the conversion of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and 11. In Acts chapter 10, he says, What God has made clean, do not call common. How were they cleansed? By grace, through faith. What God has made clean, do not call common. And then in 10.28, right, he says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. In chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. In verses 44 through 45, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Peter is emphasizing here as he reports what happened on his journey and the salvation and conversion of Cornelius. Salvation comes by hearing the word of the gospel. And God who knows the hearts of men opens their hearts to receive Christ by faith. God does a cleansing from the inside out. Conversion is one of the heart. How many of you can change anything about you really? Can you change anything about the core of who you are? Can you really do it? The answer to that is absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't know how many times I'm before my, uh, on my face before God in prayer, and I'm thinking about my natural fleshly yuck that comes up on a daily basis. And I'm like, the only way this is going to work, God, I say this in my prayer a lot, the only way this is going to work is if you do it. The only way this is going to work is if you do it. Because as much as I might try to muster up some sort of strength, I can manage my sin. I can manage it. I manage, I manage it in little categories, right? I manage myself. I can do that for a while. But it's so deep and so within me and so part of my flesh 
that it will just take over. If I'm going to be changed, I must be changed from the inside out. God must do a work on my heart. And so then in my prayer, guess what? My prayer is, I know, God, that you can do this. I know that only you can do this. And then I ask, God, would you give me grace? Grace is not like this thing that we think about often, right? That grace is like passivity. I'm going to look over your little problems. I'm going to say, oh, I'm just going to grace you out, right? I've heard that a lot in, in certain church contexts, right? We just need to grace them out. Grace is power. We need to understand that grace is power. Grace is power from God. Grace is the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Grace is power. Grace is not like an excuse. It's not a thing, well, we'll just grace him out. And see, all these men were looking at is, like in Genesis 17.9, it tells, it tells them that to be included in the people of God, one had to be circumcised. But what Peter is declaring here is that in Christ, circumcision is inward. Circumcision is of the heart, and it is the gracious work of God. This is really the whosoever gospel, isn't it? This is the God who does a work without partiality in a human heart, cleansing them by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Having cleansed their hearts by faith, he says there's no distinction. God gifts the Gentiles with the Holy Spirit in the same way that he had done to them. Salvation, Peter said, is an inward cleansing of the heart by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. God knows the heart. And I've said this a million times, I'm going to say it again, the heart of the human problem is a problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem is a problem of the human heart. The heart of man is rebellious toward God by nature. There's no work in which one can please God because man is tainted by sin. So if it's gospel plus, right? If it's grace plus, like these guys are, 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 are trying to bring these guys under this yoke of grace plus, right? Anything you add that's plus is tainted. It's unpure. It's tainted by your own sinful self. It's a work that you've done. And that work is tainted. Isaiah is clear, right? Our righteousness is that of filthy rags. It's, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It doesn't help. It's tainted. We need to know this, that God is holy. That God is holy. And we even sang that this morning, right? Oh Lord, how I need you. Righteousness is Christ in me. Holiness is Christ in me. Holiness, separateness to God is Christ living in me. Not some work that I would add to it. It is Christ's work working through and in me. It is Christ's death on a cross for sin for you and I. It is God raising him up from the dead, him ascending to heaven and seated at the right hand of God, giving gifts to men, us, the Holy Spirit. And that is God working in us. That is holiness is Christ in us. I can still hear the voice 
of Alistair Begg every time I say it's Christ in you, right? I hear him speaking in that Scottish brogue. It's Christ in you, lad, right? Christ in us. It's Christ in us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, as I said before, change is impossible, isn't it? For us. But here's the thing. The Scripture says change is necessary. How do we, how do we wrestle with that, right? In ourselves, change is impossible. And yet, the Scriptures are clear. Change is necessary. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And, and Nicodemus looks at that and listens to that phrase and he thinks, how is it that I'm going to, am I to go back into my mother's womb? To be born again, right? He, th- it's, he thinks that that's, that's an incredible statement because he's saying, you must be changed is what Jesus is saying. You must be changed. How can I rebirth myself? How can I? It's impossible, right? But Jesus has just declared to him, change is necessary. There's no way to please God without fundamental change. So where are we? If there's no way to please God without a fundamental change, where are we at? We are those who are dependent upon grace. Depending on God's sovereign will to save us. God's grace. And even, he tells us that if we cry out to him, right? If one cries out to him and says, oh God, save me, right? He will. He, he, he will not. But then, once you're saved and you understand that, you don't forget that it is God who called you, who, by His grace, enabled you to even call out to Him. Because what would we do then naturally is add that work to our faith. Well, I called out to you. Even think, think about sometimes we sing songs. I called out to Him and then He came. No. He called you from the heart. You were stirred in the heart by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, and then you cried out to Him. And then He made His presence known to you, right? God does all the work. I'm so thankful that it is God who does all the work in salvation, aren't you? I'm thankful that it's all of God's work, because I know this for a fact. I know this for a fact. I don't know this about you. I just say I know this as a fact about me. If salvation were dependent upon me to be perfectly faithful all the time, I will fail. It's 11.39 by 11.40. Right? I know me. That is me. I will fail. And even if I can muster up some sort of inner strength to do so until noon... The walk to the parking lot is pretty precarious. <laughs> because what, what may happen is that one of you may cross me. Right? You may t- come too close to me with your car. And then I may not outwardly do anything to you, but in my heart and in my mind, I'm like, that person, why are they so stupid? Why are they so careless? Why are they so... Right? And just then, the sinful heart has come right to the surface And I'm in need of God's grace. 
I'm in need of his mercy. And I praise God that he has fundamentally changed me. That he is fundamentally changing me. Well, as we look at this, when you're converted, right, there's a relationship change to the law. So I, I do not want to advocate antinomianism. That is, that, that the law is thrown out. I don't want to advocate that at all. This is, this is relationship to ceremony. This is relationship to the law. You see, the response of the one who is converted responds in a change of relationship to God himself, a change in relationship to the law and to life. See, and we have to get it in order because to, to love God is to submit to him. To love God is to obey him, to obey his law, right? To love God is to bless him for the life that he's given you. And if you get any of that stuff out of order, like if you get obedience apart from love for God, if you get, if, if you get, um, that, then you, you open the door to what? Merely legalism, right? If, if love of one's life is apart from the love of God, then guess what? We open the door to subjectivism, antinomianism, narcissism, Right? If we open up ourselves without the love of God, if we love our life without the love of God, if we, if we try to obey without love for God, it, the order gets everything all messed up. See, the door is opened according to grace alone. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. God is not partial to human distinctions. He saves whom he chooses. The church is made up of all people, all kinds of people, people of different ethnicities, different social uh, uh, status, Different, even religious backgrounds. The church of Jesus Christ is built of all kinds of people. But we have one faith. It is the same faith. It is the same grace. It is the same Jesus. In Ephesians 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Maybe one of you might be thinking, well, if it's all God, then what must I do to be saved? What, how do I answer my neighbor who says, what must I do to be saved? You have to tell them the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is we know in, in Galatians 2 says that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. So we must let them know that you cannot be justified through works, that you must be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And we must be clear 
about the exclusivity of the gospel and that nothing is added to it. And when the church departs from the exclusivity of grace and adds some human condition to salvation, she denies the completeness of Christ's death and resurrection and diminishes the glory of God and salvation. And when he continues in Galatians 2, in verse 17 through 21, he says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is then Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See, that's what they're declaring here, right? When these, these uh, Judean Christians come to Antioch, Syria, and they say to them, Brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They are, in essence, nullifying the grace of God. They're saying righteousness comes through something else other than Christ. And, and the gospel that saved them, right? They're saying, well, it's really then of no effect, really of no purpose, if it's gospel plus something else. See, I think we have to really wrap our heads around this, that the death of Christ is everything. Like, it's everything for us. It's everything. We can add nothing to that work. We can add nothing to the work of Christ that is worthy of anything. Nothing. I was remembering something this morning that I heard somebody preach somewhere. I can't remember the person. But he says, you know, we've got to understand this truth that we are nothing. That we are nothing. But in Christ, He's made us everything. We in ourselves are nothing and have nothing. So that's why Paul writes here to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I'm nothing. Anything that I thought I was, he says in Philippians, anything I thought that I once was, it's like dung. It's dung to me. In comparison with the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, it's nothing. I have become nothing. I become nothing. I am nothing. I never was anything, right? I never really was. That's the thing we got to remember. I, you never really were anything. But now you have everything, right? You have everything. In Christ Jesus, you are everything. It's Christ living in us, right? He is our everything, and we become everything in Him. Faith, brothers and sisters, comes by hearing and by the word uh, of God concerning His Christ and His salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. Let us remember the gospel of grace. Let us 
Remember that the atoning death of Jesus Christ accomplished everything for us. Accomplished it all. And that God raised him from the dead. And that you've been gifted, gifted with a brand new life in the Holy Spirit. You've been gifted with a brand new life. A life that is pleasing to God as you live in Him. I was telling the brothers about this the other day. That There's a pastor who once said, I used to think that being a pastor was about standing up there and teaching people how to live. He says, I've come to understand over the years that as a pastor, my job is to teach them how to die. I need to teach people how to die and how to die well. How to die well. Because when we learn to die, when we learn to die to us, we have eternal life imputed to us. We live forever in Christ. But we must learn first to die that we might live, right? Jesus teaches that. You must die that you might live. 